0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative
1: truth. The conservative review with Daniel Horowitz.
2: And welcome back, fellow American patriots here living in the Fourth Reich. It still does not negate your patriot status. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house today uh, to be your guide once again in the fight to control our bodies, to control our bloodstream. It's important to remember that even if COVID ends tomorrow, we still have a generation-long fight for our bodies. It's, It's that bad. And the way they accomplish that is by keeping you censored, muzzled, and uninformed. They give you snapshots of propaganda, hoping that you don't use your deductive reasoning to put together a continuity of observations, and that's why I've been spending so much time on informative shows, giving you guys information, everything I'm hearing, everything we're putting together. Um, but we will get back to hopefully next week more strategy and what what do we do with the state legislatures uh, in this narrow window before they go out of session for the year? You know, just how bad is this propaganda, Jim Justice from West Virginia? I can't get over this. He he puts out a quote. Saying This is from WV, uh, is it? Um, wvnews.com. Meanwhile, he is convinced he would have been hospitalized in gravely ill condition had he not been vaccinated with a booster shot. This man literally went for the monoclonals. And that's what got him better. And I guarantee you he got other treatment as well. And instead, he turns around and tells people to get the shots. This lie could only persist with censorship, obfuscation, lack of transparency, collusion, and conflict of interest. And I want to go through some examples of this. One of the big things people don't realize throughout this entire saga is that we have blown through unbelievably dangerous safety signals a hundred times over. And even if that's not enough to you, for you to conclusively prove that the shots are unsafe and ineffective, but at a minimum, you would follow up on those safety signals, right? Obvious safety signals. Just look at the myocarditis. I mean, you have half the countries saying they won't use Moderna under 30. So that shows you there's a lot of smoke and fire there. Wouldn't you want to investigate, well, what else is wrong And that in itself? Why are we still mandating it? In many circumstances, on people under 30. Why, why, why? I mean, this is a basic question. There is data from the Heart Group in England. I wanna bring a couple things from the UK in here that's gonna blow this wide open. Um, meanwhile, our first sponsor today is International Living. Folks, uh, with America going to hell in a handbasket, a lot of people are looking into investing in land and possibly living in Panama you're up to 10 times richer there. They have no income tax, uh, cheaper cost of living, and it actually is a high-income nation. It's not a, du- a like one of these dusty third-world countries. Um, beautiful place. Right now, as a fan of my show, you can learn more about this opportunity by getting the complete Invest and Retire in Panama series, including The American's Guide to Living and Retiring in Panama, along with four videos, all free. Check it out at buypanamanow.com conservative. free, again, buypanamanow.com slash conservative to find out why everyone is now investing in Panama. So this heart group, it's a group of 80 um, scientists and doctors signed on to this letter written to the MHRA. Um, This is the agency in uh, Great Britain that's supposed to be responsible for investigating things. And they have a letter. Okay, this is, again, the Heart Group Health Advisory and Recovery Team. And they write, we, there's, there's an ongoing court case over this lack of transparency. We write to demand an immediate urgent investigation to determine whether the COVID-19 vaccines are the cause of significant numbers of deaths seen recently in male children and young adults. We also request that anonymized data and information known to be available, known to be available, showing how many children have died following a COVID-19 vaccine and within how many days be published for full transparency in the public interest. And again, this is stuff that you would do this with an optional product, certainly something that is marketed, coerced, changes society, and we don't know basic things after blowing through safety uh, signals. On Thursday, January 13th, at a hearing in the High Court in London, evidence was presented showing a significant increase in the number of young male deaths following the rollout of COVID-19 vaccinations. Um, So basically, they took the five-year average between 2015 and 2019. Now, when you're talking about um, the age cohort they're studying, okay, 15 to 19-year-olds, teenagers, it's very easy to see a sudden burst in deaths because not too many 15- to 19-year-olds drop dead, right? I mean, it's a very small, raw number data set in a given year. They note that between May 1st and December 24th, that coincides with the period of time when they were eligible at that age group for the vaccine. There were 402 registered deaths in 15 to 19 year old males, 65 more than the 337 year, 337 of the five year average. Now, you know, again, the raw numbers are always small at that age, as they should be, but that's a huge percentage increase. Okay. By contrast, among females, it was actually slightly down. So it was all in males, overlapping with. You you know what? What is this like? It's it's a twenty-eight percent increase, overlapping with the period of time when it comes out, and we already know there's warnings for myocarditis. Right? That for sure. The question is how deep is it? But clearly, there is a concern, and and it doesn't come from left field. Again, what we've spent so much time delving into the science with our experts on the show, because if you understand the pathophysiology of the spike protein, it makes sense that that's what it does. It's like nothing, and and they have no desire to take a look at this. The Office for National Statistics has accepted that the increase in young males is a statistically significant increase, with the mortality rate falling outside the expected confidence intervals from uh, earlier years' data. Even more concerning is the fact, and this is important, that the actual number of deaths occurring of young males in that period is likely to be significantly higher. Basically, what they go on to say is that there's a lag time in reporting. So we have the previous year's you know, 2015 to 2019 average, but for this past year, um, they, they looked at the average of other years and the delay in registration of the death certificates. On average, registered deaths in that period account for only 62% of actual deaths occurring. Right, so they, they look back in the history, and it's shown that where we stand now, if you want to look at 2021 data, you're only going to get 62%. So there's 38% of the deaths that you don't get. So if you allow for the ONS estimate, and this, again, this is not proven, but it's a very logical thing to do. There's no reason to expect that or suspect that this year we're getting the reporting earlier. So allowing for the ONS estimate... The 65 excess male deaths could represent 105 excess deaths of these young men. Because remember, the five-year average, that's a complete data set. This is likely 38% incomplete. So if you go based on the rate of increase, we typically get 337 deaths in 15 to 19-year-old males in the UK during that period. If you go based on on the, this is a very logical concern, it would be a hundred and five more. Okay, that's that's utterly insane. You're talking about a quarter increase. That, that that's insane. And they note that they've been blown off. They have this data. They won't publish it. Why are we the ones that need to be put on the hook? Oh, we have to prove that it's 100% deadly and zero. But no, they're the ones making these claims. They're the ones funding it. They're the ones absolv- absolving a liability. They're the ones destroying people's lives over it. They have an obligation to be transparent from day one. you know, Even if we didn't have this, they have to affirmatively prove that it's safe. Certainly the fact that we definitely know there are problems. Connected to this, also from um, Great Britain, Peter Dashi. This is a serious dude. He's the senior editor of the British Medical Journal. The BMJ in, in Great Britain is kind of on par with JAMA, or the New England Journal of Medicine in, in, in America. This is not some you know, off-the-beaten-path right-wing outlet. And he, he points a very, to a very interesting thing with the data. How we don't have basic information on the clinical trial. I just want to read to you the beginning of it. You could look it up. COVID-19 vaccines and treatments. We must have raw data now. In the pages of the BMJ a decade ago, in the middle of a different pandemic, he's talking about the swine flu. It came to light that governments around the world had spent billions stockpiling antivirals for influenza. That had not been shown to reduce the risk of complications, hospital admissions, or death. The majority of trials that underpinned regulatory approval and government stockpiling of Tamiflu were sponsored by the manufacturer. Most were unpublished. Those that were published were ghostwritten by writers paid by the manufacturer. The people listed as principal authors lacked access to the raw data, and academics who requested access to the data for independent analysis were denied. The Tamiflu saga heralded a decade of unprecedented attention to the importance of sharing clinical data. He talks a little bit about what happened 10 years ago. And then he says, now we're repeating the same mistakes. Pfizer's pivotal COVID vaccine trial was funded by the company and designed, run, analyzed, and authored by Pfizer employees. The company and the contract research organizations that carried out the trial hold all the data. It's important to remember. You know, when we talk about ivermectin studies and other studies, they're all done independently. There's no conflict of interest. There's no one making money off of it. It's a generic off-patent drug, all the stuff from aspirin to hydroxy to ivermectin to nidazoxinide to phenofibrate to metformin, whatever we're using. There's no conflict of interest. Here, we are literally not just approving it, not just funding it with taxpayer dollars, not just marketing it with billions of dollars, not just making it available everywhere, not just but, but actually coercing it based off of the data from the people that own it themselves. Truly, truly unbelievable. And this is not a problem. This is not a problem. And by the way, just speaking of um, efficacy, I just want to let you guys know, um, ZStack. Uh, we're we're proud to have be be a sponsor for Doctor Vladimir Zelenko, one of the first doctors to actually understand how to treat COVID, understand the hydroxychloroquine was proven to help. Um, you know, you you better bulk up your health. Believe me, they they plan on coming out with a lot more things. Um, you're going to have so much immune suppression from original antigenic sin from all the vaccines. And by the way, another day I have to do a show on RSV and, and the flu. They're coming out with more mRNA. Moderna promised this. The CEO of Moderna promised this at a World Health Forum um, conference recently. So you're going to need to do, get the vital vitamins in your body. Now, it's hard to sit and take a whole bunch of pills every day. Z-Stack puts zinc, quercetin, vitamin C, and vitamin D all in one, so it makes it very economical and convenient. Um, if you go to ZStackLife.com slash Daniel, it's ZStackLife.com slash Daniel, then put in promo code Daniel to get 5% off your first order. Definitely very worthwhile. I have um, some orders in myself and for family. Uh, very worthwhile, dosed properly. Um, so, so again, ZStack's the way to go. Um, but other people, they get to control, they get to market it. See, imagine if, if if Zelenko got the government to mandate the ZStack, that would actually have more science behind it. But they note that Pfizer has indicated that it will not begin entertaining requests for trial data until May twenty twenty five. Okay. And he talks about Moderna having the same problem, AstraZeneca as well. Underlying data for COVID-19 therapeutics are similarly hard to find. Talks about Regeneron. And then he doesn't even get into Paxlovid and, and Molnupiravir. but that's straight up. All we have is a press release. By the way, every day there's more news on Molnupiravir, Merck's drug. It is so, so bad. It, it's straight up. I mean, there's nobody he will tell you otherwise. There's no other side to that story. There's literally no other side to it, yet they approved it anyway. If you trust that, you're insane. Oh, but the vaccines and, and Pfizer's drug, you know they smell like a rose. Journal editors, systematic reviewers, and the writers of clinical practice guidelines generally obtain little beyond a journal publication, but regulatory agencies receive far more granular data as part of their regulatory review process. In the words of the European Medicines Agency, former executive director and senior medical officer, relying solely on the publication of clinical trials in scientific journals as the basis of healthcare decisions is not a good idea. And he was talking about just basic ones, not universally mandated things. And he talks about the scope of the data that's missing out there. Transparency and trust. Big Pharma is the least trusted industry. At least three of the many companies making COVID 19 vaccines have passed criminal and civil settlements, costing them billions of dollars. One pleaded guilty to fraud. Other companies have no pre COVID track record. You know, that's Moderna and BioNTech. I mean, it, this is basic, basic transparency questions. It's unbelievable. Pharmaceutical companies are reaping vast profits without adequate independent scrutiny of their scientific claims. The purpose of regulators is not to dance to the tune of rich global corporations and enrich them further. It is to protect the health of their populations. We need complete data transparency for all studies. We need it in the public interest, and we need it now. Again, this is the senior editor of the British Medical Journal. Okay, this is, this is a big deal. But then, folks, let's take it to the next level. All of the censorship, every one of my articles, you know, you know, the blaze cannot put up a single article of mine on Facebook and I no longer use my private. I I never really was into Facebook, but once in a while, you know, I have my computer plugged into Facebook. So I click on the Facebook tab on the blaze article and it will send it off to my followers. I mean, I rely mainly on Twitter, but, um, I I stopped doing it because they flag every single thing. It doesn't matter. Who's paying for this initiative? Who's paying for it? Aaron Siri put out, he's the, we, we've had him on before, he's the attorney that's making all these FOIA requests, and they have a document, an email from the White House, between the White House and this guy, Peyton Iheem. He's the U.S. Public Policy Affairs Director of Facebook. Let me read this to you. We wanted to let you know about a new initiative. This is from, by the way, from June 2021, June 15th. We wanted to let you know about a new initiative, the Alliance for Advancing Health Online, that Facebook launched last week along with partners at Merck, the World Health Organization, the World Bank, the MIT Initiative on the Digital Economy, Sabine Vaccine Institute, CDC Foundation, the Bay Area Global Health Alliance and the Vaccine Confidence Project at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Facebook and Merck are contributing $40 million to the initiative, which is focused on advancing public understanding of how social media and behavioral sciences can be leveraged to improve the health of communities around the world. Um, we're especially excited about the effort because it builds on some of our campaigns with partners to date. And what it demonstrates is a seamless nexus between big tech, the media, all the pharmaceutical companies, the World Health Organization, and the CDC. The CDC Foundation, by the way, is a congressionally created entity. It's supposed to be the nonprofit arm of, of the CDC, but it's completely funded by Pfizer and all of the, of the institutions. So the regulators both the regulators of the drugs, but also those responsible for the public health measures and then going too far with it and violating the Constitution and mandating stuff on our bodies, guess what? They're funded by the very people creating it. So they get all the angles. So the next time some dunghole, phony rhino governor stands up there and says, oh, a private business could mandate this on you, dude, there's nothing private about it it's all brought to you by the government seamlessly working together it's government created speech and that's why you know i'm i'm all for a private entity um having the right to say i'm going to discriminate but you know and 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 we're not going to allow conservatives on to post things but A, you know, we do have anti-discrimination laws, and if you're going to have them, you have to apply them evenly. But more fundamentally, it's it's not private. It's all being done. I mean, Biden publicly admitted he called upon uh, Facebook and, and others to censor. So you could only imagine privately the extent of what they're doing together. That is government-regulated speech. That's not private. Does this sound like a movement that you can trust, think about it. Even the stuff that we take apart and show how they're misleading you, even that often relies on data that could have totally been cooked. It's the ultimate conflict of interest. That's where we are with this. That's why you're never going to see an investigation into anything that points to negative safety signals about the shots, you never will. It won't get funded. It will get censored. Could you imagine? I I know so many personally. We had one on the show that very smart, entrepreneurial scientists that want to embark on something, a study that's not even that expensive. Okay, very easy. Sometimes it's a data analysis. It's not like a very heavy genetic sequencing that has a lot of uh, overhead. But you got to get it published somewhere. It doesn't matter how impeccable your study—I'm just saying, let's say tomorrow—I'm not saying this is true. I'm just speculating. Let's say there would be a smoking gun pointing to terrible um, reproductive health problems from the shots. Okay? And let's say it's ironclad, 100% done properly. Do you think that is, that's going to get published anywhere no the smarter you are see sometimes like you know i've like anyone else i've better content some days than others it's the best content that gets zapped online um because it's unassailable because it's true now our final sponsor today folks very important itargetpro.com with ammo so expensive and every time at the range you could blow hundreds of dollars worth of ammo what if I told you in the privacy of your own home, you could go and practice your sight alignment, your picture alignment, your trigger control, even practice drawing from the holster? Um, we're going to have on, hopefully if we have time, Rick Green is going to talk about some, a free giveaway for our next trip uh, coming up to Front Sight Nevada. By the way, you can find that at patriotacademy.com slash defense. Um, you're going to learn a bunch of muscle memory. How do you practice that in a cost-effective way? Well, if you go to iTargetpro.com, the you could buy a laser dummy bullet. It fits all trigger functions of, you know, all your rifles and handguns, 223, 9mm, 45 cal, um, whatever it is. And you it you, they give you a board, you put it up And then you download an app and you shine your phone on it. And it literally is like, you know, makes a noise. It renders the shots where they go. And for an extra few dollars, you can get the pro version that I I downloaded. And uh, it could time your draw. So you could see the accuracy and, you know, the timing. Did it take 1.8 seconds, 2.1, and and at what distance? It's it's really terrific. It's a lot of fun. And it's very accurate. So, again, go to itargetpro.com. Offer code CR for 10% off free shipping. You make back the money after one training session. That's the letter I, targetpro.com, offer code CR. Now, before we bring on our, our guest today, I just want to um, touch on another issue to make sure we have time for for this. Yesterday, the Supreme Court ruled 8-1 to 1 with the lower uh, D.C. appellate court that Trump must submit his documents, that are showing communication and advice that he got during January 6 uh, from different advisors in the White House. He must submit it to this, uh, you know, select committee on January 6 to Congress. I just want to say, you know, if you look broadly at what's going on in the country, up is down, down is up. Fundamental rights are flipped on their heads. Each branch of government violates its purview. So now you have a scenario where courts act like legislatures and legislatures act like courts so you know the the legislature can now be a court if you have a criminal charge against Trump then get a criminal charge and that the court deals with that if it's Congress that's legislative and it's political another branch of government is not subject to your you know your your, your stuff this is a very dangerous violation of separation of powers and this, is the buddings of a banana republic. One of the things we don't do in this government is have the subsequent administration or a subsequent uh, Congress, you know, in, in be able to take apart the previous administration. Now, if they did something overtly criminal, again, that's for the courts. No, one, no one's above the law. But the point is that that they should get the, you know, if he d- did something unlawful, then charge him for doing something unlawful. But the fact that the other branch of government could demand your um, communications with your advisors—that—that's bull. That is a very dangerous precedent. Um, you know, thought crimes. I'm a big Article One guy. I believe, as Madison did, that legislature predominates. They hold the cards, but they don't use the power they do have, and then they try to grab the power they don't have. They they kick all the policy to the courts and then they take the power of the courts to almost be like a criminal um, adjudicator. Doesn't make any sense. And it's, it's an extremely dangerous precedent, but only Clarence Thomas would have overturned the lower court and put an injunction on it. Once again, you see a garbage Supreme Court. Only Clarence Thomas would have Decided that I see today, I didn't have time to get into it, but there was another criminal case where the court sided with a criminal defendant. I'm not saying it's always wrong. I didn't have time to look into it. But again, Clarence Thomas was the lone dissenter. But folks, this is nuts. This is like a banana republic stuff where you could have subsequent Congress's administration subpoena the communications as not part of a discovery in a criminal case, just as part of an independent separate branch of government. You know, if every subsequent administration could do that, I could just get access to. No. If you don't like, see, you're like, well, Daniel, I, I, you know, where's the check and balance? It's very simple. Congress has the power to legislate, Congress has the power to control the purse. So, Congress, if they wanted, let's say you have a president that they want to gain access to their advisory emails, they to say, well, until you hand over the emails, we're not going to send you a budget bill. We'll have a government shutdown. And the people will decide who's right, ultimately, based on popular opinion the elections. But that's your leverage. You could defund the office of the presidency and make it harder for him to hire people. Congress controls that. But the president has the right to take advice and communicate with people whom he wants to communicate with. You don't control that. You don't control that. The president controls his staff. Now, Congress could defund an office, but that's only an official office like, you know, the State Department or whatever. If he wants to have an ad hoc advisory, he has the right to do that. Connected to this as well, the select committee issued a subpoena for Nicholas Fuentes and Patrick Casey. These are like kind of right-wing activists. The committee is demanding records and testimony from the two witnesses who promoted unsupported claims about the 2020 election and were present on the Capitol grounds on January 6th. I, I want you to understand how chilling this is. Again, I don't know those people. You know, they say Fuentes is a holocaust. No, I, I don't, that doesn't matter. The point is you have two people that are being subpoenaed to come in front of a congressional committee What are the two allegations that they hold views about the 2020 election they don't like? Okay, well, Daniel, since when is that a crime that I disagree with your political views? What action, what criminal action do they do? They were present on the Capitol grounds. In other words, they weren't even in the the Capitol. They literally did nothing wrong, and they're not alleging that they did anything wrong. When you put together the January 6th stuff with COVID fascism— what you have in this country is a complete uninhibition where they're uninhibited in what they can do to you. That if they believe you're an enemy of the state, if you don't do what we want to your body, if you hold a political view about the election, if you hold a political view about COVID, you don't have rights to free speech, to free association, to a uh, right to assemble on public ground. You don't have any rights the bare basic bodily integrity freedom of speech it is gone it's not like we're headed to that you don't have that and the reason why is because again this is all an information warfare that's why the censorship is so important because if people realize it they'll they'll rebel that's why they have to censor every last thing and now heading very close To criminalizing your views. Remember, you know, Facebook cropping your stuff, Twitter kicking me off is certainly not akin to the FBI knocking on my door for having political views they don't like. But if you look at the preponderance of evidence and, you know, the confluence of several factors, number one, the fact that the government is fully involved in that censorship. And number two, that they're using January 6th to literally criminalize freedom of speech, we're pretty much at the doorstep of them doing this. This is why information is so important. And this is why our next guest is so important to our listeners. Now, one of the biggest ways that they keep you muzzled and uninformed, and really with the gravest of consequences... Is about the way to treat this virus. Okay, that the fact that you have to drink out of their sewer to even know what to do. Uh, this has probably been the biggest theme of the show over the past year, and the reason why it's so important is because typically, when government takes away your liberty and they fight you over a given pretext, it's it's all a lie. The thing doesn't exist, like global warming or something like that, uh, human-made global warming, and it's it's kind of easy. It's easy to deal with. What's complicated here is because there actually is a virus. They actually did create it, and it is a problem, and the response to it is the problem, and the obfuscation of what to do about it is the problem. So you have to be educated on on all of it. Otherwise, you're either going to fall into their trap, or you're going to succumb to COVID, or both, which is the tragedy of what we're dealing with. A lot of people got the shots, they did the mask, they did the lockdown, they didn't see their grandkids for two years, and then they get it, and then... Lo and behold, they have no treatment. It is shocking how few people I speak to even know the existence of some of this stuff. Now, we're going to do this a little bit more detail tomorrow, but with us today to give you the most up-to-date information is Dr. Lynn Finn. She was an infectious disease doctor for many years. She's an expert drug developer now. Um, You could follow her. Finn fan underscore fan on Twitter. So it's F-Y-N-N underscore fan, except it's actually her. It's not the fan. It's just her account because she got kicked off her first account. Um, she's associate director of America's Frontline Doctors. Dr. Finn, thanks so much for joining us today on Blaze Media.
1: Thank you, Daniel, for having me again.
2: Well, you're one of our more popular guests, and that, that's because people really want practical advice. And let's ju- jump right into it. Um, it's very confusing because on the one hand omicron really does seem to be very light but on the other hand there does seem to be more delta than they're willing to admit still circulating it is very fluid and it seems to me that the longer delta hangs around the more that thing becomes like the 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 black plague like it's worse <laughs> than anything so it's it it's a sharp dichotomy because with delta we were before omicron we were at the point where we were like preparing everything under the sun for war you got to go to war for that you know tons of stuff 10 days worth make sure it didn't bite you in the rear end at day seven eight and then omicron came and for omicron you know most people don't even need to treat it um they'll get through it fine there are some ways of treating it first step how do we know how does the average person listening know in those first few hours and days whether they have omicron or delta
1: well, let's be clear. The only way to confirm it is diagnostically. And, we're, and we can't sequence every single positive COVID or suspected COVID test. There are ways of doing PCR that gives you an indication, but I am fully against a single assay diagnosis. I've always been against it. It's not something that that is uh, even, you know, it's not, I can't even think of the word right now, but you do not use a single assay to make a diagnosis for anybody. Clinical presentation is highly important and an entire clinical picture is important. And and in the case of Omicron, we can sort of get an idea without the diagnostic, whether it's Omicron or not, based on its initial presentations and how it transpires. Um, with Delta, yes, you're right. It, it is still quite prevalent, but it's losing ground by the day, which is good news. Um, We're finding a lot of it's more geographical. Uh, Omicron is so, so much more transmissible that it will take over um, as the dominant uh, variant of concern, as they as they like to put it. Um, That said, what I'm seeing clinically are are people presenting with a massive headache for the first few days and for a lot of patients it seems to be the ones that still have their tonsils they get a good couple of days of just a a razor sore throat and the good news with omicron is it does stay in the upper respiratory tract versus the lower respiratory tract which is where most of our our uh, issues are with um, Delta. So that said, it's it, by day five, you're feeling better by day eight, you're done. And then we're seeing a phenomenon occur quite often in a lot of these Omicron patients where they start spiking a fever by day nine and then they don't feel very good. And the problem is, and I'll tell you exactly what the problem is because I'm dealing with it in numerous cases right now, the problem is these patients start maybe having shortness of breath, maybe feeling a little bad fever, they go to the ER, and the ER treats them as if it's COVID, okay? So we're, we're calling a positive COVID test COVID, whether it's Omicron or Delta, even though they're, they're completely different manifestations and completely different diseases, but that's what they're calling it. So when you go into an ER with COVID, they don't look at it the same way on day eight or day nine. What I'm seeing with Omicron is a, an opportunist ba- bacterial infection. We're seeing mycoplasma. We're seeing strep pneumo. We're seeing opportunistic bacteria taking advantage of the kind of worn down stressed immune system. And when you, when you reach that day nine, you start feeling bad, you spike a fever. It's not like Delta where that fever is an inflammatory marker mm. and you're going into the inflammation phase, which is what's it's happening in Delta. It's infection marker. It's more an infection. It's more the result of, of a bacterial infection and getting your clinician to administer, even to take sputum samples and do a culture of sensitivity or um, to do blood cultures or anything of the sort, you're not going to get that because they have COVID on the brain. They think COVID, 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 and they're not going to prescribe an antibiotic for a viral infection. Well, that's not what I'm seeing. And it could be nipped in the bud if they do culture and sensitivities on some of these sputum samples. If there's purulent mm. or if they do some sort of testing to figure out what it is quickly, I'm seeing mycoplasma, I'm seeing strep pneumo, you know, azithromycin, these kind of antibiotics, easy, quick, and we'll get to the core right away. But what happens is they stay in Fester for several days while they give them six milligrams of dexamethasone, which does nothing, and then they do chest X-rays and say, "Oh, I'm seeing the beginnings of pneumonia." Okay, so this is a completely different clinical picture than Delta, but to them it's looking the same. Wow, and it's being treated the same. So,
2: so you just answered a question I was going to answer. I was going to ask you, but you answered it. So I was going to ask you, well, if this is fundamentally an upper respiratory. Why are we seeing any hospitalizations at all? So what you're saying is that it's not the vicious cytokine storm when the IL-6s and IL-8s are like, no, no. you know, shooting the hell out of your your lungs and then the microclotting lurking around there. You're saying, no, it's a straight-up upper respiratory infection, except, again, it is a version of a bioweapon. It is very complex. It does a lot of things to you. And you're saying, and, and it's amazing that Brian Tyson said this yesterday on the show, and the two of you didn't speak. I didn't even speak to you beforehand, but you're kind of converging on the same thing. He said it. In his urgent care, he's culturing, he's seeing a lot of bacterial infections. So it's ha. it's 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 not as severe, but it does, you know, that will land you in the hospital, much less likely to land you in the ICU and get a mortality out of a ventilator out of it. But, and we're seeing that in the data, so that's a very satisfying, I think, explanation. But you're saying that's why you think, don't just say, ah eh, it's a cold. You do need to get on board with something like azithromycin.
1: Okay, let me just tell you this. In the past, prior to COVID, when you when you presented in this way, you went to your doctor, you went to a, a little doc in the box, you went to an urgy Care, you went to you know something other than the hospital ER because eh I feel like I'm getting an upper respiratory infection I'm gonna go see what's going on I might need an antibiotic I mean that that's very typical it's typical of flu as well but in in our COVID dementia, what we're doing is we're treating everything like it's life-threatening, and and I understand why. However, we're taking what was a head cold, okay, and say we're over it, but then we start feeling bad, and we're going to the ERs as if it's a continuation of SARS-CoV-2, and it's going to go into the inflammatory phase and the and the serious lung involvement phase and clotting and all of the sequelae that, that – well, it which,
2: which itself they don't treat properly, but you get the they negatives anyway. but not the positives. Meaning it's not like they're going to throw the kitchen sink at you. They're going to do the voodoo, but they're not going to give you uh, the prednisone. They're not going to give you the antibiotic. They're not going to give you – um, the nebulizer, uh, Dr. Tyson said yesterday they don't allow nebulizers uh, in the hospital because it aerosolizes, and they're worried that they're vaccinated. All vaccinated staff will somehow get harmed from a vaccine yeah, that was supposed to help.
1: A lot sense, but you're saying
2: because typically every winter, you know, we laugh off colds, we laugh off flus, we live with it, but a certain amount do develop more complicated bacteria and pneumonia type of things from it, and that does land them in the hospital. Um, And so now we're we're backwards. We're not even even properly.
1: So now it's even more so, because what's happening is they're going in. And instead of treating the bacterial end of this, they're not. And it's allowed to fester for several days. And that does land them in the hospital. And that's the problem. So we're more likely to go to the hospital. It's less likely to be treated as it should be. And now you're more likely to become admitted from the ER. So that's what we're seeing. It's not that it's that, you know, virulent and and it's causing all of this hospitalization because that is not the case. If you look at the data in the U.S. right now, though cases are, are up, and obviously so, we've got a very highly transmissible thing that's being tested by this ridiculous test that calls it covid and you're going to get the case rise, but the hospitalizations are going down immensely. And yep. that being the case, it's it's because the few that are hospitalized, if treated early and and effectively, it wouldn't it wouldn't be that case. So.
2: Do, do you think there's a concern that it's being exacerbated by some version of orig- original antigenic sin with people having been pumped with with spike? And they get um, well. Not it's not so much the spike, but just the the way that your body is now trained to respond with the generalized antibodies, not the you know specific cytotoxic T cells for the respiratory tract. Is that making it a little bit worse?
1: Uh, I do now. This is just my anecdotal observation. I do think that there is some antigenic sin, original antigenic sin, uh, in play, mainly because my more severe cases have been in the vaccinated or the recovered covid recovered patients so obviously they do have an an antibody population that could cause what you're saying exactly and they do se- seem to present in a little more of a of a of a severe manner i don't even want to say severe moder- more moderate to severe Manner than the naive. The naive are rarely getting it. When they do, they either don't know it, and they only caught it because they 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 over test, or they're very mild in case, and they they test just because they have mild symptoms and they want to know. But um, that's really what we're seeing. And and because of that little anecdotal. Bit of information. Do I think it could be original in it antigenic sense? Sure, I do. I think the more we keep boosting and exposing, we're we're going to reach a point where it's going to be problematic, and that's my yep. my main concern. And again, and, so, and so and
2: this is not some latest right wing you know talking point. You had the European Medicines Agency officials and Israeli immunologists that are you know finally admitting that. Look, you know, you keep pumping people up with this um you're going Absolutely. to suppress their immune system it's just amazing because again dr tyson said the same thing you're in the sen- center part of the country um you know he's on the west coast and he said the same thing, you know, that, that they're seeing these bacterial infections. It's worse in yep. the vaccinated. Seems to be from his. He has a pretty nice sample size there. Um, again, not like Actually, a full ADE delta blown thing where you're going to have cytokine storms, but just more a typical winter pathogen that you just had, you know, are a little bit worse off with it. Um, could you elaborate? So it's important to still probably get a Z-pack, um, you know, for Omicron. What else do you feel If someone thinks they do have Omicron, uh, should they focus on is the kind of the top three things they do?
1: Well, I'm seeing a lot of people, you know, prophylax with ivermectin and dose with ivermectin as soon as they become symptomatic with a a headache and a sore throat. But I I am not seeing that that's helpful at all, Um, where ivermectin is very important in, in Delta uh, because of its S2 um, binding, the TMPRSS2 binding, I'm not seeing that with Omicron. I, I, it's a very very poorly fused and unfused vaccine, because, I mean, not vaccine, a virus, because the mutations in the spike has minimized its ability to fuse. And because of that, it requires a lot more ACE2 to bind and to even take hold and proliferate. So because of that, we are seeing a, an age dependent kind of virulence. You will see it in, in the elderly more often and, and a little more severe, because it does. Rec- if, if you do have a lot of ACE2, then you're, it's going to fuse efficiently. But without it, in a a normal, healthy human, it's not going to fuse very well. So for that reason, I'm finding if you really feel the need to treat it early on, that hydroxychloroquine is is working much better. Ivermectin is not very effective in in treating Omicron early on. And I'm finding that if you keep your D levels up, add a little zinc, um, using some C twice a day, uh, and you know, in my asthmatic patients, uh, I'm throwing on like toward the end, after the sore throat subsides, uh, I'm using uh, Advair twice a day, which is a uh, long-acting beta-salmeterol and a fluticasone, which is a, a steroid, just to for my asthmatic patients, just to prevent it from from got it. From
2: got it. So you're saying there's there's worse. less ACE2 binding, no tempers to binding really, so it's not so much an ivermectin thing. And then for the inflammatory, thank God, you know most aren't getting to that, so you don't really need the ivermectin for that, assuming you, you're you confident you have Omicron. Obviously, if you think you might have right. Delta, you should. So you're saying what many other doctors, you all seem to be converging on this. Based on the uh, pathophysiology of Omicron, hydroxy is now kind of coming back as the, as the bigger player if you want to treat it. I noticed you didn't talk about... Any anticoagulant are you are you guys pretty confident that omicron, yeah. is not a candidate for aspirin and natokinase and things like that?
1: Yeah, I, I've not seen any evidence that that it affects clotting in any way. There's no real uh, platelet aggregation. there's there's none of that and and it has to do with there are thirty spikes in this uh, thirty mutations in the spike protein. Uh, there are some deletions that are very key. And this also lends to the fact that is, in my opinion, it is not a mutation of the Wuhan SARS-CoV-2. It's not a mutation of Delta. It's not a mutation of Alpha. Um, if I had to guess, it, it, it was it was synthesized in a laboratory. And if I had to guess even further, it probably preceded. Uh, mm. Any of this because it's it does, however, confer immunity to all of the variants that we've seen so far. Once you get Omicron, so yay! It's almost like you know a a gift from from God. And and,
2: and isn't a telltale sign the fact that it, despite it being more like a cold, it does have some of the signature SARS CoV two bioweapon bizarreness like the bizarre muscle aches
1: oh yeah you get the muscle aches which is bizarre some people are getting completely clogged ears or loss of hearing for a short time but not the loss of taste and smell um yeah it's definitely a frankenstein there it it does where it's ugly head in that way because it's unexpected. And, it, and it, there's no rhyme or reason with whom it does what to at what yeah. time. However, the, the commonality here is that it seems to be upper respiratory. It stays in the sinuses. You'll get some sinus burning. I highly recommend at the first sign of, of uh, any kind of, of symptom that you use a saline, rinse, I use Neal Med. It's a bottle, and you can put as much pressure as you want on it and rinse out your nasal passages each side half and half and do that a couple of times a day, and that will help immensely because it, it binds to your entire nasal passage, and that's where the, the viral load occurs, and that's where all the problems happen. If you keep it flushed out with saline, some put like 4 mLs of hydroxychloroquine hydrogen peroxide in their saline mix. Some put a drop of iodine in their saline mix. Saline's going to do it as well. Um, so you're saying you don't it, even need
2: the povidone, povidone iodine?
1: Not not for Omicron. You really don't need it. Um, saline will flush it out. Saline will kill it. it it's it's that simple. So it, you can keep it cleaned out and do it. I, I do it twice a day. I tell my patients to do it twice a day and that also mitigates the duration of the infection
2: that, that that's that's helpful and I just want before you go I want to make sure we're clear on this there there is some overlap, you know, like both have the muscle aches and bizarre things, but but j- just to make sure I'm getting this right, because the 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 wickedness doesn't come until later, and then often you don't know, and, and the idea is you want to treat it aggressively before that with the anti inflammatories if you think you are getting delta. So are you saying that that at the beginning delta is more front loaded with um? fever and loss of taste and smell Whereas
1: you'll get fevers loss of taste and smell um you'll get the less congestion more of a dry cough that cough will come on sooner you'll get less coughing with omicron it's a more productive cough you might want to add aquafenicin to it just to keep a mucolytic on board um, you'll get more congestion, sinus congestion, pouring, all that with Omicron that you don't normally see with, with Delta. I, I'm still very adamant against throwing the kitchen sink at Delta. Very adamant against, uh, I mean, for that, I'm sorry. I'm very adamant for throwing the kitchen sink against Delta because it is a, a virulent strain. There's no doubt. Um, but if you if you have verified it with with a double spike PCR using all the the primers or sequencing, or you can tell by your, your throat and the fact that you still can taste and smell and you don't have a fever, then Throwing the kitchen sink is is not the way to go for
2: that. Um, Got it. You're saying it's unnecessary with the anti-inflammatories, anticoagulants. You're saying you get you get yeah. a a severe sore throat, very congested. You know, because throughout the yes. last two years, I would talk to people who had COVID, and they could have had serious issues around the corner, but they actually didn't even sound congested often. Whereas no, this no, they're, they're, Omicron, they're like yes, you know stuffed up like anything, and they sound exactly. like they have a classic, really annoying. Cold, cold, much more of yeah. a sinus backing up risk than a lung backing up problem. But I just want to be clear right. with people because it's not like all of a sudden your Sats will drop with either of them. So you know you want to prevent that. But it's the throat, the nose congestion is the front-loaded thing. You're not going to see the loss of taste, taste and smell. Um, you will get the headache and, the, and the muscle aches. Very few
1: fevers. Very yeah. few fevers I've seen in Omicron. Um in fact I've noticed a lot of people taking their temperature because now that's a thing like on a regular basis and when they when they present with omicron their temperature is actually lower than their wow. normal and and I've seen a lot of that in, and and to be clear a lot of times it.
2: you with a cold I have this all the time with a cold um, I think I have fever. I feel like I have fever. You kind of have a and sick, you but you don't. With with a typical yeah. rhinovirus, it's often common. So you might feel like you do, but take your temperature if you're not seeing that fever. So then, yeah, it's more likely um, going to be Omicron. Uh, just real quick, in terms of th- there are people clearly still getting Delta or whatever the hell it is um and they're getting the the pulmonary they're getting the cytokine storm could you just briefly give an overview uh, cuz you're always at the cutting edge of this always trying to find what works at a given moment um thank god it's increasingly less often but it is needed there are people in trouble um what are some of the things that you're finding clinically that has some research to back up back it up that works with the the cytokine storm the pulmonary fibrosis the the, I mean, what we've noticed,
1: yeah. and, and they do have literature behind it, is we're seeing that uh, ciproheptidine has been very, very important leading into the inflammatory phase and um, in preventing histamine degranulation and that whole complement cascade of causing cytokines, basically. So, the ciproheptidine, the phenofibrate, those two things are helping with that immensely. Um, kind of pulled away from Singulair because that's a different pathway of inflammation, and I don't see that really uh, affected by Delta. So I pulled away from the Montelukast, but the fenofibrate, the Ciproheptidine, definitely. And in the more advanced cases, because you're always getting cases of people who are saying, I'm really sick, I'm on day eight. And I didn't do anything about it all this time. And you ask them, you know, uh, are you at least supplementing D? Do you blah, blah, blah? No. So, it, I mean, it's two years into this, people. You have to do the basics. You have to take control of your basic health. Um, cut out the sugars. Increase your D3 supplementation. Make sure there's K2 on board. Uh Take C every day during flu season, why not? Take zinc during flu season, why not? These things you can control. And that way, you know, we're finding later in the disease when fibrosis is set in, I, I am seeing some, some po- positive uh, fibro- fibrotic reversal with metformin use. It has to be used um, under a physician's watchful eye. I'm not saying go out and go sure. start taking metformin but but there are ways to control metformin in, in a long-acting way that has shown to, especially in, in vitro but also in the animal model, has shown to reverse fibrosis in the lungs particularly. Also very key, a lot of hospitals are throwing six milligrams of DEXA at these patients. That isn't going to do anything. There is literature out there where prednisone, methylprednisone are, are more specific for, for lung inflammation. That's where we need to be, and we need to be at high doses. You're in the hospital at high doses, no sugar. When you're on high-dose steroids, no sugar, uh, no Pedialyte. You're not a, an infant with diarrhea. Stop it. <laughs> you know, no no Gatorade. All of that sugar, Um Cut out the sugars when you're on a steroid. It'll send your glucose through the roof. I know in the hospital it's easily, you know, controlled because we can control it with insulin. We can control it with all different things. But but just if you're on a dose pack even, cut out the sugars. It's really important to keep your glucose down.
2: This is all very helpful. And, again, just, just so you folks know, uh, we're doing this academically um, Unlike hydroxy and ivermectin and things like metformin, that's M-E-T-F-O-R-I-M-I-N, if you want to research it, it's a diabetes drug. Um, The point is more for people that you have the onset of the fibrosis, the lung stiffening up. The the people may be on the verge of being put on a ventilator. Maybe they are already. um, They're having the respiratory distress. These are things that you could ask for questions to ask of your doctor, seeking out a better doctor, seeking out a better hospital. These are some of the Absolutely. things to know that, you know, when you get the, you know, there's the early treatment, but then there's, let's say the rare case it didn't work or where often they didn't do it. Then you're presented with the onset of the cytokine storm or it started and that's still a very different story than the case we've been talking about—a guy in a ventilator for two freaking months. There are still right. a lot of tools. So, Doctor Finn, I wanted to give you that opportunity to just give people a glimpse of what's out there that could be done I do if want you have
1: conversely, a. Conversely, I want to mention something. Conversely, here and it happened last night to one of my patients who went into the ER because his SATs dropped a little bit to 94, and he is. Recovered from Omicron, I suspect um, uh, mycoplasma or another type of bacterial uh, infection, but he went to the ER and he said he had COVID, of course, so uh, immediately they turned their COVID brain on. Well, he's on day nine, okay, recovered from Omicron, in the ER, first thing they wanted to do, give him remdesivir. Not only is remdesivir not appropriate at that stage of Delta, which it is not, it should be in a replicative stage stage if you ever use it, and I don't advocate advocate using it at all, but if you do use it, it would be in the replication stage in the early phase of the disease, not on day nine, not on day eight, not on day 10, but this is Omicron we're talking about. So... That was the only thing they offered him: six milligrams of dexamethasone, put him on oxygen, and remdesivir. And as soon as he denied them a uh, remdesivir dose, they wouldn't admit him. They, they're just keeping him in the ER and giving him dex and keeping him on on uh, oxygen. At that point, you've got to get your your primary care guys in. You've got to get your docs to come in and either take control of the situation or go somewhere where they will control the situation. Um, advocates are important. Your family is important to have in there. I know in a lot of hospitals are not allowing that to happen. That is a crime. I've got to say, you're, when you're out of it, you need an advocate. You can't, ex- you can't, expect the advocates to be your caregivers all the time a lot of them are inundated a lot of them are scurrying around and they go by their protocol they live by their protocol so in in these cases having an advocate there to say look can we at least get a sputum can we at least do culture and sensitivity i really think it could be bacterial you know have someone there if you can't speak up for yourself or, or get a hold of your primary care physician or get a hold of your doctor or someone you trust, because this is where we are. I hate to say it, but it's a fact, and, and you have to advocate for yourself going forward.
2: Well, this is all very helpful. It's really, I mean, we've never lived through a time where you had to have this advice and where you're working against the system, but we're going to need to draw on your research and your clinical experience in the future as well. So we look forward to having you back. Thanks so much for your presentation again. And again, folks, you could find her on Twitter. Um, at-
1: Actually, my telegram page uh, at oh. Dr. Finn's Science and, Enlight- and Enlightenment and Stuff I have a Telegram page. Um, The the Finn underscore fan account on Twitter is actually a fan account. Um, I do consult with the person running it, but it's a fan account. You can follow that, and it has all of my other uh, platforms listed in the pinned tweet.
2: Well, Telegram's even better. Thank you so
1: much for having me.
2: All righty. Take care. So, again, folks, that was Dr. Lynn Finn. Very, very helpful, practical advice. Um, and academic advice as well, you know, some of that you can't do on your own, but at least that you understand the scope of what to do early stage. And then if, you know, unfortunately you get to that moderate, more severe stage, uh, different things to ask for. And I just want to say, you're going to find the commonality of the experts that we actually use that are the ones, the only ones that are actually engaging in science, is that they're not dogmatically stuck on one thing like the other side is, to the gates of hell. The reason why I call Lynn all the time is because she's constantly at the cutting edge. If she sees a, a, a change in the trend of presentation of symptoms, of what it's responded to, like, yeah, I don't think this thing, you know, she wasn't so into Singular, I don't think that works anymore, this thing really seems to respond She'll she'll go on that. She was like, you know, Omicron, hydroxy seems to be more of the deal. Um, not so much ivermectin because the way it enters the cells. This is what real science is all about, and this is what we're going to continue to do. Now, we're going into overtime today. Um, first time ever that I can remember, we're gonna have two guests on because it's a really exciting offer. Uh, you know, just kind of to move on to something lighter, very, very heavy show. Want to move on to something lighter. Um I mentioned to you guys that my buddy Rick green is putting on more of these training constitution and handgun defense training at front Sight Nevada, uh, February 20th is the next one. I'll hopefully be at the March 13th one. We have, uh, dates in May and June as well. The best training you'll ever get. And don't tell me you don't need it because you do. There's almost nobody who knows how to properly draw and shoot in a defensive situation. And it's a lot of fun as well. You get to meet great people, um, but there's a great offer I want to, to give you guys today. So we have a none other than Rick Green himself of Patriot Academy on the line. Hey, Rick, how you doing today?
0: Daniel, doing well, man. You are a national hero, brother. I appreciate the truth that you put out every day. Thanks for what you're doing.
2: Well, I, I definitely appreciate that, and I appreciate the vacations you've given me over the last year, meeting great people, get to meet people from my audience I never got to do um, under such great circumstances. Uh, So you have a a trip coming up. You go to patriotacademy.com slash defense um, to find out all the information there. All right, what do you have to offer the best audience in the world?
0: Well, as you know and as your audience knows, we've had so many of them come with us, and such great people, patriots that love the country, love the Constitution, uh, just want to do right by their family and and preserve freedom for their kids and grandkids. Those are our kind of folks, and uh, we've had so many of them come out with us for the training, it's a wonderful time of fellowship, the best instructors on the planet. Most of the people that come with us have either never shot or they've certainly never had any real training. And so anybody that's intimidated by that, don't be. We're, we're really, really good at this. And, uh, and, and I've, I've not had, after 5,000 people coming with us, I've not had one person say, wow, I wish I hadn't done that. Give me my money back. Or I wish I hadn't done that. Y'all aren't good. Every one of them says that was amazing. Uh, I feel comfortable with my firearm now. I'm confident to defend my family. And Daniel, as you know, I mean, just look at the news, what's happening all over the country with with these prosecutors not prosecuting, with jailbreaking, putting the criminals back on the streets, the horror stories uh, of what's happening in the streets of America today. Uh, frankly, if I can be blunt for a second, I think if you don't get training and carry a firearm, you are the fool in proverbs twenty seven twelve that did not take precautions like the wise person, and you suffer the consequences. We cannot be naive anymore. We have to be prepared to defend our families. And so uh, what we want to offer right now, we, you know, we do this about once a month, typically take, take about a couple hundred people at a time out there. And this next trip, February 20th, we want to give away 10 seats on that one to your audience. And normally we already do it at a great discount. This is a, you know, if you do the three-day one, it's a $1,000 training normally, if you do the five-day one, it's $2,000 normally, and we do it for about a tenth of that all the time, but we're going to give away 10 free seats to that three-day training to your audience and, and they need to what they need to do they can go to the website and they can watch videos see what it's like all that all of that's at PatriotAcademy.com, but if they'll email my son Trey at patriotacademy.com Trey at patriotacademy.com that's T-R-E-Y, at patriotacademy.com uh, because he's you know he's uh, only got a few of those and he wants to make sure he uh, responds to your audience immediately when they when they email and we're down to about a week. So February 20th is the date that you would show up in Nevada. But we gotta get you registered and get all that done. So we have to do all of that within the next week. So you got about seven days to, to to get it done, but you wanna email immediately if you want to, want one of the free seats.
2: So folks, you have to understand, I never do a good job properly selling this. Um everyone who <laughs> comes says, Man, I that that was nothing like the way you described it. It was just so much fun. It's 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 a perfect mix of fun but serious training. Um and now you heard that. Ten slots there. You better email Trey. T-R-E-Y at PatriotAcademy.com. Uh, I mean, you're talking about a um, $1,000 value there for, for the typical training, all free. So you just got to pay for your trip. Um, it's coming up in a month, February 20th. So make sure you take advantage of that. Unfortunately, I won't be able to make it out then, but I will be there the the March 13 trip. Uh, real briefly, before we close up, Rick, um, just, just describe some of the scope of what you do at Patriot Academy, some of your programs and and agendas and strategies that speak to what's going on in the country now.
0: I appreciate that, Daniel. This is, you know, the Constitutional Defense Course is just one of many things that we offer to folks. Our whole mission is to equip and inspire citizens to defend liberty and preserve liberty for the next generation. Our flagship is a youth leadership program, which is a a 16 to 25 age range. We do that in state capitals across the country and gives them a chance to live the life of a legislator and really learn what it means to have a good constitutional republic. We teach founding fathers philosophy and constitutional jurisdictions. Our graduates are, are serving all over the place now. It's a really successful program. And then we have a constitution coach program where we now have, I don't even know if you know how much this has grown, we're at almost 11,000 constitution coaches across the country. So these are thousands of people hosting our constitution class in their home or at their church or synagogue or at their library or somewhere in the community. And it's, it's phenomenal what's happening because when you come together, you realize I'm not alone. There's other people that love the country, that love the constitution, that want to restore this thing. And then you realize my gut was right. America has been a good nation. And then you realize... There are things I can do in my community to be the catalyst to restore these things. So that Constitution program has exploded over the last two years. I really encourage people to sign up. It's all free, by the way. We give away our Constitution classes for free. We have donors that help make that happen. And our goal, Daniel, is to put 5 million people through these classes before the next presidential election. So we've only got – what does that leave us? Uh, We're down to three years and uh, a lot of work to do, but we've had hundreds of thousands already go through, and it's exponentially growing every day. Everybody can learn more about it at patriotacademy.com.
2: Perfect, and and again, the free trip to Frontsite, Nevada, for the Constitution and handgun defense training, uh, Trey at patriotacademy.com. If you want to be one of those ten people uh, getting it a, a free, a f- totally free training, uh, you just got to pay for the trip. This is what it's all about, putting patriots together sharing information that's how you combat the muzzling the censorship the obfuscation and ultimately the tyranny rick thanks so much for joining us today and we are out of time till tomorrow god bless y'all and thank you for listening